Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 8. The Gospel record of Mark in chapter... Going with our series of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And as we go through this series, we are now finding ourselves surrounded by one family line that continues to plague the New Testament church over and over and over again. And as we're getting to the trials of the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem and in Judea and in that uh, Palestine area, that the Apostle Paul is going to be surrounded by this family line and their influences. And so it's important just to take some time to understand who the players are, where they come from, how corrupt they are, and how they've been a hindrance to the gospel and to the church. Uh, the New Testament church at that time. So if you don't mind taking your copy of the word of God. And look with me to the gospel record of Mark chapter 8. And let's notice Jesus warning concerning this family. So the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 8. And notice with me in verse number 15. The gospel record of Mark chapter 8 and verse 15. The word of God says this. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Mark 8? Mark 8 and 15, the phrase, the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and pray as we go to this uh, series, this message here on the Herodian line, the Herodian line. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we go through this family tree that's found in the Bible, this, these people who are antagonistic towards the gospel, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to learn what Jesus is warning us about, how we can apply, even from a family here, we can apply the warning that Jesus himself makes. And if you don't mind, Lord, fill me with your precious spirit, that you get your own work accomplished. Let this not be done out of my own flesh or intellect or knowledge but lord i'm asking by your spirit that you would get your work accomplished through your precious blood i depend upon you and i trust you now in jesus name amen the herodian line once again the gospel record of mark chapter 8 verse 15 says and he that's jesus charged them the disciples take heed beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of Herod. There are actually three warnings of leaven that Jesus gives in the gospel records. He warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees were people who said they obeyed the law and they did all these things. They fasted, they gave money, and they looked good on the outside. But in the inside, they were all corrupt. And dirty. And so when Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, what he's trying to do is he's warning the disciples, Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy carries the same idea of acting. 
It's pretending to be something that you're not. And so Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They represent hypocrisy. Then you have the leaven of the Sadducees. Remember, we already explained why the Sadducees, they were so sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the miracles. They didn't believe uh, in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And so Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of unbelief. That be careful of unbelief. That could shipwreck you not believing what Jesus can do. That who he is. Then he warned of the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Herodians was worldliness. That at this time they actually had a political party called the Herodians. And they believed that as long as they supported King Herod, that King Herod would solve all of their problems. And that even today, this idea of the leaven of Herod is still in play. That people said, I believe... The government will change everything. If we get enough conservatives in the government, if we get enough liberals in the government, if we get enough of this in the government, that our problems will be solved. Well, the government never has the problems. You understand that worldliness just doesn't go in the government. That what are you depending upon? Are you depending upon the doctors? Are you depending upon the postman? Are you depending on your own ability? All of that is trusting in the world and not trusting in God. This world cannot solve your problems, dear friend. It cannot, it cannot, it cannot. And so Jesus, when he's saying, beware of the leaven of the Herodians, he's saying, beware of those that depend on the world to solve their problems. And so this is a big warning. And as we go through this family line, we see the importance here of not trusting in the world. And we're going to make application as we go through. But if you don't mind, let's go through a character study of this Herodian line and see the importance of it. Notice, if you don't mind, a handout that I gave that gives the family tree, or more accurately, a family web uh, dealing with the Herodians. And we're going to point some things out as we go through it. The first one we're going to hit is the patriarch of the family, Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Let's hit some things about Mr. Herod. Herod the Great was the son of Antipater and an Edomite woman. Antipater is very important in history because it was Antipater who sold the Israelites into Roman bondage. That they had won their independence under the Greek realm and so they were their own country for a while. And the Romans got Israel into their um, empire not because they conquered it but because of a back... Um, a back deal that was done by Antipater. He basically sold all of his people into the bondage of the Romans. Thank you so much, Mr. Antipater. And so it's no wonder his son also became fairly corrupt. That Antipater is the one who gave Jews military and tax exemption. So Antipater, as he's w working with the Romans, he's trying to appease the Jews and say, all right, well, if we go into the Roman Empire, you've got to make the Jewish people exempt from taxes. You have to give them, uh, the Jewish people, to be exempt from being part of the Roman army. And so that was part of the trade-off. We'll come into your empire as long as you give us some promises yourself. Now, when Julius Caesar died, someone poisoned Antipater. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. After that, the Romans resumed control and Herod becomes the king of this area. He's installed to rule this Palestine area. Now, let's examine a little bit more of 
of Herod the Great and his different abilities. First of all, let's look at Herod the Great as the master politician. And he was a master politician. Now, after Julius Caesar, if you remember your history, there came to be a second triumvirate, or basically a leadership of the Roman Empire by three people. Two of those important people was Octavius Caesar and Mark Antony. Well, they ruled together for a while, and then after a while, they got in a fight, and a big civil war broke out throughout the Roman Empire. Well, Herod had to choose... Who do I want to back? Do I want to put all my support but beside Mark Antony? Or do I want to put all of my support between Octavius Caesar? Who I think is going to win? What he did is he chose Antony. And if you know your history, Antony lost. But Herod was such a master politician that when Octavius Caesar won, Herod the Great had walked into Rome backing the wrong person. He spends some time with Octavius Caesar, and by the time he gets out, he convinces Octavius Caesar to name him king of the Jews. So he walks in in trouble because he backed the wrong person, but he's such a master politician, he walks out friends with Octavius Caesar, the guy he was fighting against. That is a master politician. In addition, Herod, he tried to be the servant of the Jews And the Romans. He tried to create this balance of trying to support the Jewish people. As well as trying to keep the Romans happy. Which brings us to Herod as the master builder. He built quite a few things within that uh, Palestine area. Now Herod, he overtakes a project to refurnish the temple to keep the Jewish people happy. Now, if you remember, there are several temples. The first temple was Solomon's temple, which Solomon had built, the the son of David. And that temple was destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. For 70 years, they did not have a temple until under the the uh, rule uh, the um, leadership of Zerubbabel with the influence of the Persian Empire, they rebuilt this temple, but this temple was nowhere near as extravagant or as beautiful as Solomon's temple. Well, when Herod the Great gets here, in order to keep the Jewish people happy, he said, hey, how about this? How about we renovate the temple? Why don't we make it as good as Solomon's once again. And so what he does is he begins like a 50-year construction project where they slowly, bit by bit, refurbish the entire temple until it once again it is glorious and it is beautiful. And it became, one, once again, a great wonder in the world. Now, the Jews never had to pay homage to Caesar. If you again remember your ancient history, Caesar, the Roman emperor, was worshipped as a god. And all of the Roman empire had to worship the Roman emperor as a god. Well, the Jewish people would have a problem with that. They believe that there is only one god. So what Herod did as a master politician is that he convinced the Roman senate to allow the Jewish people to be exempt From acknowledging that Caesar is God. Now again that's a lot of political finagling that he had to do. Now as the master builder. In order to keep the Romans happy. He did a couple things. He kept order. He made sure that the Jewish people didn't revolt. He made sure that the Jewish people stayed in order. He also personally honored Caesar. So that way uh, the the Caesar. Whoever was Caesar at the time. Octavius Caesar most of it. Um was happy that 
<clears throat> that at least one Jewish person, the leader, was acknowledging him and his role. He also bet Caesarea Maritime, which became a seaport that was the deepest and best man-made harbor in the Mediterranean. It's also where, if you know uh, modern geography, it's where Tel Aviv is today. But it was Herod the Great who built it, one of the greatest man-made seaports in all of the Mediterranean Sea that was built by Herod the Great. Him as the master builder, he also allowed the Jewish people to have a yearly feast and the customs, even though every year at Passover time it stirred up revolts because all the Jewish people gathered together. But he kept the Jewish people happy um, and taking care of them. But in order to protect himself in case one day the Jewish people revolted, he built himself a great fortress called Masada to keep himself safe from the Jewish people in case they came for him. Now, Herod the Great, not only was he a great politician, not only was he a master builder, but he was also an evil, evil master. He married into the Hasmonean line. Uh, um, so he married a wife of an important Jewish line just to kind of put legitimacy that he was the king of the Jews, even though he technically was not a Jewish person. Later on, he decided to start killing everyone. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his own kids. No wonder he had a problem when it came to Jesus to slaughtering all the babies two years or under during Jesus' time. He had no problems killing anyone. In fact, it was so bad that Octavius Caesar once said, it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. Because... At least he wouldn't touch one of the pigs. Remember, the Jewish people wouldn't touch uh, pigs. They were considered unclean. And so he said, Herod just kept killing his sons off. He was just so evil. Can you imagine how evil you'd have to be just to execute your kids just because you got mad at him? He was an evil man. He was so evil that he wanted to be mourned when he died. However, he knew he was very hated, so he knew that no one would cry for him. So what he did is that when he began to get sick later on in his life, he had 70 of the most prevalent, important people in Judea to be arrested. And as soon as he died, they were to be killed. So that way the whole nation would be in mourning. <laughs> Could you imagine what an ego he had? Well, everyone's going to cry when I die, so I'm going to kill the most beloved people in the land, so everyone's crying. Well, luckily that when he did die, his soldiers said, well, Herod's dead here. Go ahead and go. <laughs> We're not going to kill you. He's already dead. So luckily they had enough sense to let him go. But that's how evil Herod was. And by the way, it only gets worse. Herod the Great, he passed on his kingdom to three of his sons. He passed on to Herod Archelaus. He inherited the most important part, the central part of the kingdom. Then Herod Antipas, he got Galilee and Perea. And then Philip, who got Iteria, or what we would call in the Old Testament as Bashan. Now, we talked about Herod the Great. Let's see some of his kids and see how well they stack up next to daddy. Let's look at Herod Archelaus. Herod Archelaus. Notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew, chapter number 2. The gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 2. And let's see what the Bible says about Herod Archelaus. Herod, uh, Matthew, chapter number 2. Remember, in this account, Jesus Christ has just recently been born. And now, as he's getting a little bit older, 
Notice with me in verse number 19. Matthew chapter 2 in verse number 19. But when Herod was dead, that's Herod the Great, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young man's life. Now remember what happened. Herod the Great was searching for the king of the Jews, and so he ordered all the kids two years and under to be killed. Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, they fled to Egypt in order not to be part of that slaughter. Now that Herod the Great's dead, the angel comes to Joseph and said, All right, Herod's dead. You can go ahead and go back, to, go back home. But notice what happens, verse 21. And he, that's Joseph, arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside to the parts of Galilee. So what happened? Herod the Great died. He says, oh, let's go home. As he gets home, he heard Archelaus is ruling. And an angel says, "Ah, maybe you shouldn't go there. Maybe you should go to Nazareth instead of going back to Judea. So even the angel says, no, you don't want to go there. Herod Archelaus was a pretty evil person himself. <coughs> Um, Archelaus, he was a wild man. He was uncontrollable. That when he became king, he said, Hey, I can king. I could do whatever I want. I'm one of the kids that daddy didn't kill. I made it. And so he just did his own thing. Didn't care what people said. So after a series of complaints by the Jewish people, the Romans relieved him of duty. And what they did is they set up a procurer or a governor. This is where Pontius Pilate and Felix and Festus come from. Because Archelaus was deposed that the Romans said, here, we'll take control of this part. And they rule instead of Archelaus. But again... How bad do you have to be when the Roman government says, oh, we've got enough complaints. You, you got to step down now. He was a pretty bad guy. So we have Herod the Great, who was the daddy of them all. And then we talked about his son, Archelaus. Let's go to a different son, if you don't mind. We saw Herod Archelaus. Let's look at Herod Antipas. Once again, another son of Herod the Great, the brother of Archelaus. Let's look at him. Antipas was a very superstitious um, Sadducee. So we know what group he was from. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. They did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. So he was a superstitious, superstitious Sadducee and a very immoral man. How immoral was he? Well, he looked at his brother Philip and he looked at his wife and said, you know what? I know you're married to my brother. How about you come live with me? Well, that was not very good. And so um, Herodotus, by the way, which was their sister, decided to go from one brother to the other brother and live with them. And from Philip and Herodotus, Salome was the daughter of Philip and Herodotus. All of these show up in the story dealing with John the Baptist. Notice with me in the gospel record of Mark in chapter number six, the gospel record of Mark in chapter six. And let's see this account. The gospel record of Mark in chapter number six.
Again, the Herods are all throughout the Old Testament. And here's several Herods that are in the early life of Jesus Christ. The Gospel record of Mark, chapter 6. Let's pick it up in verse number 14. The Gospel record of 6, chapter 14. And King Herod, so this is Herod Antipas. King Herod heard of him, that's Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. Then said he that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show themselves in him. And others said he is Elias, and others that he is a prophet, or one of the prophets. But when Herod, again Herod Antipas, heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid a hold of John the Baptist and bound him in prison for Herodotus' sake and his brother Philip's wife, for he married him. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So what happened is that Herod um, was minding his own business. He had married his sister, who happened to be his brother's wife. And so he said, stole her over. And so he's living with her. And John the Baptist, being a good Baptist preacher, went and put his bony finger and said, you are living in sin. You are not right. Well, you know what? Herod was able to take it, but the wife, Herodotus, was not happy. So notice what happens, if you don't mind, in verse number 19. Therefore, Herodotus had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod was on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me of whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it of thee. And he sware unto her, saying, Whatsoever thou askest of me, I will give it to thee unto half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste to the king and said, I would will that thou will give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat at him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And so... How evil was this guy? He killed John the Baptist knowing that John the Baptist was a good preacher that nothing could be said of him. He killed him just because his stepdaughter said, Daddy, Mama wants his head. Can you get me his head? Okay. And so they chopped off the head of John the Baptist, put it on a big plate and said, here you go. Here's John the Baptist's head. Once again, not a good guy. And this is again... His story is not over with yet in the, Old, in the New Testament. We see the same account in a parallel passage in the Gospel record of Luke. But let's see some more about Herod Antipas. Herod was in Jerusalem uh, during the trial of Jesus Christ because he was a Sadducee and it was Passover. So it's Passover time during the time of Jesus Christ when he's put on his illegal trial. And Pilate sent him, Jesus, to Herod to 
so Pilate can get out of judging Jesus. He said, here, let's pass the buck. You go ahead and judge Jesus. When Herod found out that that Jesus is there, man, I can't wait. I've heard so much about this Jesus. Let me talk to him. Herod wanted to see a trick or a miracle. Man, I've heard about all these tricks that Jesus has done. I've heard about these miracles. And so he wanted Jesus to perform for him. So he said, come on, do a miracle, do something. But let's think about it from Jesus' perspective. What he sees before him and King Herod Antipas is he saw a man whose father tried to kill him. So your daddy just tried to kill me. You just killed my best friend. And now you're putting me on trial. No. No wonder the Bible says that Jesus answered him not a word. This is a guy that's killed people and his whole family is corrupt. So we've talked about Herod the Great. We talked about Herod Archelaus, that he was a wild man and that he was mentioned in Scripture. We saw Herod Antipas who killed Jesus Christ, or who killed John the Baptist and was also tried Jesus Christ and helped promote what happened as he went to the cross. But let's look some more about this evil line. Let's look at Herod Agrippa the first. Herod Agrippa the first. When he takes over from his father, Herod, uh, Herod Philip II, there was two Philips, Philip I and Philip II. They were brothers, but we use the first and the second to try to differentiate who's who. But when his father, Herod Philip II, dies in AD 37, um, he takes over. In AD 40, Herod Antipas dies, and Herod Agrippa gets his lands as well. In the next couple of years, he obtained Samaria and Judea. So basically, he's now restored the kingdom to what his uh, grandfather, Herod the Great, had once ruled. He is now in charge of all of that Palestine area. Now, his children are very important. He had Herod Agrippa II, Drusilla, and Bernice, and then Merimim. All of these were going to be important people that we'll find in the New Testament. Now, Herod Agrippa I, he kept the Jewish law, and because he was a Jewish person, he hated the church. And he wanted to do everything he could to keep the Jewish people happy and to kill all the Christians. So notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Acts in chapter number 12. The book of Acts in chapter number 12, and let's look and see more about this man. The book of Acts in chapter number 12. <coughs> Now about the time that Herod, so this is Herod Agrippa I. Now about the time that Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he, that's Herod Agrippa I, killed James the brother of John with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him... Peter into prison and delivered him into the force and quartorians of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him before the people. So here we have Herod Agrippa the first. Notice what he does. In verse 2, he kills James, which is one of the 12 disciples. After that, he tries to kill Peter. Well, that doesn't quite work. So what happens to him? Notice with me in verse number 20. Acts chapter 12 and verse 20. Notice as we see what happens to Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa the first. Verse number 20. 
And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But when they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a day set Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and made an ortation unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is a voice of a God, and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms, and he gave up the ghost. So, what happens to Herod Antipas? Well, he got to the place where he had full of pride. And the people said, Oh, this isn't a man, it's a God. He says, You know what? You're right. And God says, oh yeah, let's try that. And he kills him. And before he even falls to the ground, he's already eaten with worms. That's pretty bad. But again, this is an evil guy. So this is King Herod's grandson. And we can see the tradition of excellence that they have within their family. Let's go on. So we've hit Herod the Great and Herod Archelaus, his son, Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's son. We see the grandson of Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I. But let's see how his family turns out. Let's look at Drusilla, who we are now catching up to where we're at in the Apostle Paul series. Let's look at Drusilla. Drusilla, her name, name means watered by the dew. That's a pretty name, watered by the dew. But even though her name's pretty, she is not. She is the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great. She is the youngest of Herod Agrippa's daughters. And she's the most beautiful of the daughters. So much that her sister Bernice, she just could not stand her. She hated her quite a bit. Now, at 15, she got married at King Aes. All right, so 15 years old, she gets married. She's going to live happily ever after? Not really. So she leaves King Ahaz and she's going to marry Felix, which we've already caught up to into this um, Apostle Paul series. Now, Felix started off as a slave and he worked his way to be a governor inside of the Roman Empire. So that's a pretty hardworking man to start off from a slave and to work his way to be a governor of a Roman province. This is a hardworking guy. So Drusilla said, hey, I got King Ahaz here. But notice this man, Felix, he's ambitious. Felix is going somewhere. I know I'm going to leave this guy and I'm going to go hang out with Felix. So she bore a child she named Agrippa. So she goes, I know I'm going to name him after daddy. So let's call him Agrippa. And when Paul stood before Felix, she was 20 years old in a legal marriage. So that's where we're at. The Apostle Paul's standing. He's giving his testimony. Felix is there. Drusilla is there. And she is definitely not right with God. Drusilla, let's see some more about her in the book of Acts in chapter number 24. The book of Acts chapter 24. The book of Acts, chapter 24, notice with me, in verse number 24. Acts 24 and verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, she, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in, Jesus, in Christ. And as he, Paul, reason of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come... Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have convenient season, I will call for thee. So he heard the Apostle Paul and he says, I'm not going to get saved now, but I'm going to go talk to you later. 
He hoped that also money should be given of him of Paul, that he might loose him, for when he sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, uh, Porteus Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So we can see here uh, Drusilla, she's mentioned in the context, but she's very influential over her husband. People believe that if Drusilla was not there, Felix might have been saved. So imagine this. Imagine being in a church service where the man's there and he's listening to the preacher and he's into it. Man, that's right. I am a sinner. Yes, because of my sin, I owe a price. But Jesus died for me. That's good news. And all I have to do is accept him. And he looks over at his wife and his wife is just staring. And Felix says, um... I'd rather obey my wife and keep her happy than listen to the preacher. And so, because he chose the wife over the message of the word of God, he did not get saved and he went to an awful place called hell. In fact, history says he died a very horrible, horrible death because of his rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Drusilla hated Paul and she convinced Felix not to let Paul go. So Felix said, man... If Paul would just give me a bribe, I'll let him go. You know, he had the power just to say, go ahead and go, Paul. But she said, no, you got to keep the Jewish people happy. You got to make the Jews happy. So keep Paul. And so he kept bringing Paul in, hoping that Paul would drop him some money. I'll let you go, man. But nothing ever happened. And so he kept in prison for two years for no reason. Now, it's rumored that she was killed 20 years later in Italy, when, in Pompeii, when Mount Vesuvius exploded. If you remember history, that was one of the most explosive um, and damaging volcano eruptions. Um, Pompeii was its own island when Mount Vesuvius blew up. That entire island was buried in lava and ash. Uh, very rapidly. In fact, when they dug up the remains many, many, many years later, they found people still sitting at their table eating when the volcano blew up. Once again, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. Some people even theorize that God waited till she got to Pompeii to blow the mountain just to teach her a lesson. That's speculation, but that's how it goes. She was not a nice person. Well, we looked at Drusilla. Let's look at her sister, Bernice. Now, Bernice comes from the word Nike or victory. So her name means victory. She was the oldest daughter of Agrippa I. And she first married Marcus. After a while, her second husband was her own brother, Herod Agrippa II. So she goes, I like this Marcus guy, but I like my brother better. I'm going to go marry my brother. That sounds fun. She'll eventually leave her brother and marry a Ptolemy. She'll get tired of the Ptolemy and go back and marry her brother again. Again, a very messed up family. Then she leaves Agrippa and she goes with Vespian, the Roman emperor. That's called marrying up. She goes and marries the Roman emperor. Well, after the Roman emperor got tiring, she goes, let me marry her, his son, Titus. He's going to be the next Roman emperor, so I'll marry his son. So my stepson, I'll go marry him. So this is not a good girl. She's got issues, she's got problems, and it's all about power. She was present when Paul gave his testimony to the brother Agrippa. So notice with me in the book of Acts, chapter 25. The book of Acts 25, we can see once again, she stands here. Acts chapter 25. 
And notice with me in verse 13. Acts 25 verse 13. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bounds by Felix, about whom I was, in I was at Jerusalem. And the chief priests and the elders informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I've answered, it is not after the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that which he accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat in the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus who, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go of Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept, that I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I will hear of the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, Festus at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And once again, they go forth and, and they explain... To the Apostle Paul, what uh, the Apostle Paul explains what's going on, and he begins to uh, explain to Agrippa. But once again, Bernice heard the gospel, and she rejected it. King Agrippa the second heard the gospel, and they rejected it. Again, that goes with their family and how evil they were. Now we come to King Agrippa the second himself. He takes the throne at age 17. He's ruling all the province. And he died without an heir. And he finished the Herodian line. Once again, he heard the gospel. He rejected it. And he died. Once again, a very sad family. So let's go back. Jesus said at the very beginning, Beware of the leaven of the Herodians. And clearly we can say that this whole family line, they're all about the world. They're all about power. They're all about doing it themselves. It is not about the Lord. It's about themselves. So how do we apply that to ourselves? How do we apply the idea that not to take the leaven of the Herodians? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of James, chapter number 4. The book of James, chapter 4. And let's make application to this. James chapter number 4. And let's start in James chapter 4 in verse number 1. James 4 in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war against your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Here it's talking about, we're going to read some more, but it's talking about, you know why we don't have some of the blessings and we don't have the power of God? Because we don't ask Him for it. We don't depend on Him for it. Notice as the Bible goes on. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, meaning you ask it for your own purposes and not for the glory of God, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. 
ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity or enemy with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Remember the leaven of Herod is the leaven of worldliness. Trusting the world to solve your problems rather than having God solve your problems. The Bible says you become an enemy of God by not trusting him, but trusting in some other thing or trusting in yourself. Notice as it goes on, it says in verse five, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy, but he that's God giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humbles. Verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So the book of James is dealing with the same idea. What are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in the world? Are you going to trust in yourself? Or are you going to trust in God? Where is your dependence at? So... We're either going to live our life by force or we're going to live our life by faith. What do I mean by that? You are either going to trust in yourself or you're going to trust in God. The world is always against God. The world does not want God to rule over them. So in various situations we find ourselves in, the best answer is for us to cozy or to cry out to God and to snuggle close to him. Then we'll be obedient when he tells us to do something. But let's put this to the test. It's easy to say that you're trusting in God and depending on God. So how do you know that you're depending on God? How do you know that you're trusting in him? Well, that's a good answer, question. We can tell if we're dependent on God by our prayer life. Are we spending more time in prayer asking for God to take care of the situation? Or are we spending more time depending on our ways, our work, our intellect, or ourselves. For example, when it comes to, to influencing people, let's say that we're going to go soul winning. Do we spend more time soul winning or more time praying? Who are you depending upon? And the situation that you have, are you trying to fix it or are you going to God and asking him to fix it? You see, one of the problems that we have in our Christianity today is our self-dependence. We try to answer our own prayers. We try to solve it ourselves. And what we do is we throw a cursory prayer up to God. God, please help me. And then we go do whatever we want anyways. But we're not dependent on the Lord. When is the last time you spent one hour in prayer for the loved one who's far away? When's the last time you spent one hour of prayer for our country? We spend a lot of time complaining about our country. When's the last time you spent an hour? Is not our country worth one hour of prayer? Where do you think our country would be if every Christian who called themselves to be a Christian took an hour in prayer for our country? What do you think would happen? How do you think our church would change if we decided we were going to spend more time praying than 
doing or complaining. We wonder where is the power of God. But yet we don't ask God for it. You have not because you ask not. You see the true test to see if we are dependent on God is are we on our knees? Do you understand that man can get things accomplished? Even church people, we can do things ourselves and get things accomplished. But we don't want what we can accomplish. We want what God can get accomplished. And that only happens by prayer. By prayer. You know, even on a Wednesday night, we try to have a prayer meeting... But you know what? Sometimes we rush through things and we don't spend time with God. We talk at him rather than talk with him. That God is not our servant. We're his servant. And we are to depend on him to take care of it. You have a problem at work. How much prayer have you spent on it? You have a problem with your children. How much time have you spent in it? You have a problem with finances. How much time have you spent in prayer over it? Are you trusting for God to fix it? Or are you trying to make it work? Are you trying to fist it and adjust it and manipulate and trying to figure how do I take this money over here and put it over here so I can pay this and over here? We all do it. That's because we're not trusting in God. We're not depending on Him. Where is the power of God? It is not diminished. It is not diminished one little bit. Why don't we have the power of God? Because we're not looking for it. We're not seeking it. We're not depending. We're not trusting in him. We are so self-sufficient and so self-dependent that we do it ourselves, and then we just do a little prayer and hope that God puts the frosting on our efforts. We cannot do God's work. Only God can do his own work. And so when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Herodians, What he's trying to say is not the family line, but it's what they represent. They are a group of people who tried to do things themselves. And as Jesus is talking to the disciples, what he's trying to tell them is don't do it yourself. Trust in God. Depend on him. That's the whole thing about prayer is that we find out, are we trusting in him Or are we just trying to check off the list or just trying to get this prayer thing over with? When's the last time prayer was so real to you that you knew you got a hold with God? When's the last time you prayed for something and in the middle of the prayer, God says, it's done. You might not have the answer yet, but you know that God says it's going to be handled. When's the last time you took the time to pray until God said, I've got it handled? We've lost this idea of prayer. And then we wonder why things aren't fixed. We wonder why people aren't changing. We wonder why the situation hasn't been adjusted. Again, we're getting to the preaching part now. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Rodians. That it's not the people, but it's the world. Who are you trusting in? And you say, but I'm trusting in Jesus. Then let's check your prayer life. When's the last time you prayed an hour? When's the last time you got on your knees and got a hold of God? And it wasn't just a checklist. It just wasn't something that you kind of passing by. God, hi, thanks, take care of this, bye. Who 
are you depending on? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.